my spidey senses tingling. Really big show. Ladies and gentlemen, Slimbo Slice. Welcome to uh, the biggest show we've ever done. 150. Paper Cake Podcast. We talk about comic books. Uh, three fathers. Three friends. And we're going big this episode. The whole episode we'll be talking about one book. One of the greatest books in the history of humankind. Warren Ellis. John Cassidy. Planetary. Uh, and Laura Martin on colors. I should add. Uh-oh. Can't forget Laura. Never forget Laura. Hashtag never forget. Welcome to the show. Uh, let's run down our hosts, if I may. Jonesy loves beer, halting the show for nearly 40 minutes so that we could finalize some photoshopping. You're an unpublished writer. You were at a cigar fest this weekend. And I survived. Welcome back, Vampiro. Uh, Vampiro loves beer here. Uh, Wishing everybody a big thank you uh, for 150 uh, stellar episodes. Still happy to be a member of this team. Uh, Even after we tapped the brakes and came back, we came back stronger than ever. Uh, Love Planetary. Hard to believe Warren Ellis also created Transmet when he created this beautiful work. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks. Thank you for having me. Wrong foot. Wrong foot. The book wrong the wrong that foot. shall not be named Transmetropolitan. Uh, finally, the remaining living host, he's a Twitter sensation. He's a father. He's a internet bad boy, he's been called. Welcome back, Dale underscore A. Welcome. Thank you for having me back. And you guys realize we are at episode 150, exactly 75 episodes from when we did tap the brakes. Wow. So hmm. we've uh, we've got we got back on that train to New Bonerton, and we have just kept on going. We took uh, one of those trains where we could just drive our RVs right up onto the train car. And we lived on our RV <laughs> on the train, and we're just not stopping. The train is fueled on passion and comics and steam, too, and coal. That steam and coal-powered. But we're here. Episode 150, Planetary. I had three-quarters of a slab of pork ribs shortly before I came down to record this episode, so I'm pretty excited and I'm pretty lethargic. <laughs> I got a couple pounds of meat in my belly. Hot meat injection for Dale underscore eight before oh, the yeah. show. Oh yeah. Uh, how many pages? Historic episode. We you know this this show was banned or this ep- this 
book was banned for the longest time. Jonesy wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> Nobody would shut up about it, how much we loved it. So we did something most podcasts refuse to do. We we blocked out the show. The I'm sorry, not the show again. The uh, the book. And I actually started to edit out the word planetary from episodes. Not many people realize. Yeah. It was uh, frequent, to say the least. I mean, people who were listening were probably sick and tired of the phrase planetary because it would be dropped so much. It was like... It was almost like we started to be like a one-trick pony as far as what uh, what we would compare books to and stuff like that. We had to just cut it out. We had to yeah. cut it out of our vocabulary, and that's where which the was hard for me. Yes, yeah. which was hard. I that's where the you phrase really did anything, Jones. You kept mentioning it. That's why I right. had to edit it out. So it wasn't it wasn't hard for you at all. It was right. seamless. <laughs> it was so almost the, like the uh, the other book that you're always talking about, which I will now edit that out. Can't talk about it, and nobody will know what I just said. I think for 149 episodes, the phrase has been edited out of the show. Yeah. Thanks to Joni. Joni. (laughs) Joni, thanks to Joni. Yeah, the golden embargo was born because of Planetary. It was. It was the first ever, and it's the, is this the second ever Rucka Keg episode where we we talk about one book for the book club, one series? Or no, No, Akira Akira was the first full, full Rucka Keg, hard Rucka Keg. Yeah, not a soft was, rucka keg. There was no uh, even with rucka keg OG. There was a round table. There was. We don't. We don't have time for round table this week. No, I we was. Not can I tell you how glad I was to not have to read any new books this week? I didn't even read Amazing <laughs> this week. I haven't touched anything except for you know Planetary. How, you know how incredible it was to just know that this is all we had. I didn't have to, you know, have to scrounge around for some new title that you would buy and not read mm-hmm. ever again. Or it was, it was freeing. It's, it does even just one week of this is is a break for the mind. And it's it's funny because it shouldn't be. We had to read seven hundred pages in a week, as opposed to just reading like four twenty page comics for <laughs> maybe a roundtable. Mm-hmm. And it felt yeah. better, felt a lot <laughs> it better. Did, it did feel better. Especially, I, w- I was done reading this on Friday night, people. Oh. At the weekend out. ahead Whoa. of me. Stop the press. Yep. How was... Stop uh, the online digital You know, presses. I want to get into the free comic book days, the cigar fests, and the Lancaster keg that we all took together as friends mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can save that for after the, the topic at hand, which is planetary. The whole thing. Mm-hmm. 27 issues. Say it again. Planetary. Say it again a little slower. <laughs> planetary. Sound like it. Now I know what your wife hears when she's laying on the bed <laughs> with you at night. Planetary. So 27 issues we read. We also read the the one shot, which uh, was three single issues, kind of like the Elseworlds planetary, but we'll talk about that later. 27 issues, 10 years. Planetary. Jonesy, please, can you indulge us? In planetary, I'm going to synopsize uh, volume one, all over the world and other stories. This is the premiere of the greatest comic sensation to ever reach your minds. Uh, we are masterfully introduced to some of the best comic characters who are simultaneously homages to the fandom at large. And the main intro 
is the recruitment of Elijah Snow to the planetary organization. And Elijah is a century baby, born January 1st, 1900, and has superhuman capabilities. And he will come to learn as a member of planetary that there are others, many others out there like him, and that for some strange reason, he can't remember all of them. Uh, notable adventures, of course, are the uh, the Adirondacks mission, the first uh, first issue, where we discover uh, my sidebar favorite character, Doc Axel Brass. Mm. And then uh, we are treated to some very homage excellent issues that uh, kind of... Homage Godzilla and uh, Island Zero issue. And we also get the Captain Marvel homage in the uh, Shift Ship story. Uh, Just really setting the table of the banquet feast that is planetary. Volume 1 asks the question, who is Elijah Snow? What an ending there. It wasn't even the end of a sentence. It just stopped. Nope. It's just, it just stopped, cut off. <laughs> Probably because he said the phrase <laughs> right after, so Slim <laughs> edited it out. That's like now nine times I have to edit that word out. I have to pay attention. <laughs> I'm making little notes. I think we actually did volume one on our defunct comic podcast, which was the precursor to the Paper Cake podcast. Which, good luck trying to find audio files of that show. Those things are in my Dropbox somewhere. Um, but, I mean, this... And I, I Way back when, I used to describe this book as X-Files meets Indiana Jones. And what what more do you need out of that pitch? That's like... No, that is the best elevator pitch I may have ever heard. Thank you. I appreciate life. that. But you don't need anything. It starts out with this sexy female character, Jakita, who works for the planetary company and recruits this haggard-looking Elijah Snow to come work for them and, you know, find out the world's secrets and wonders in their kind of freaky archaeology. And then the issues after that are just kind of almost like one-shot X-Files episodes. The very, I think the very second issue, uh, issue of the series is them on the the island where they kind of, they talk about how there's this, you know, this mystery island that nobody really owns due to a war dispute and nobody even lives there. It's just kind of defunct, but something happened there, and and that's where these monsters were created, and that's why nobody lives there. And they just get to the bottom of that little mini secret, so that's just one issue. And then the second issue, the third issue is just a totally different topic, but there's always the remaining thread of them uncovering secrets and Elijah Snow not really knowing who he is and just various secrets about the planetary company and... I mean, one of the best, probably first trades of a title that you can try out and then instantly fall in love with. Absolutely. And and to your point, Drink, um, the little sprinklings of what's to come that uh, Warren Ellis gives us here uh, upon the second reread of the week really jumped out at me. And that's, uh, for instance, his reference later in the uh, the volume, but... The helicopter scene where uh, Elijah and Jakita sit next to each other on the way to the island. And uh, he offers her a cigarette. And she says, uh, how do you know I smoke every once in a while? He's like, ask me again sometime. It's like you can see the first cracks of uh, 
Elijah's identity start to show up. And it's hard to imagine in modern day comic storytelling that he was that dialed into the details that he knew he had to start early giving you a you know a trail of breadcrumbs to fo- uh, follow to the uh, the ending yeah the uh, I mean, Warren Ellis is just oh man the guy is the guy's got it and with planetary it seemed like he he was going to take his time hopefully because he knew we'd have the issue space to tell the story he wanted to tell but the first trade like fits with today's standards of attention spans mm-hmm. and like uh, marketing machines where you know single one shot issues for the first trade is the was the way to go because it kind of set up to for you to know what planetary was which are just archaeologists of the the impossible archaeologists of the weird and it was it's just a great pacing because it's not all one continuous Warren Ellis sci-fi story which can be incredible but also could be possibly overwhelming for someone checking it out so yeah. these one shots that ta- that touch on different genres the uh, the Godzilla issue with the on islands uh, island zero or or whatever the island was called and the um the Doc Brass issue just all sets up the rest of the series perfectly i mean it's 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 the way to do it and it's the way to ease into planetary along with everything else like all the all the great stuff nowadays is one you know just don't give me a six issue arc up front. Let me ease and dip my toe into it. And th- this, uh, the first volume of planetary just sets the pace of what you're going to be getting in this, in this entire run. And it's wacky and it's great. One thing I, I truly loved about this volume, especially because the first issue is the, uh, the Adirondacks, the Doc Brass intro issue, where you're also introduced to the Secret Society, who are the, uh, you know, the other century babies that kind of came together to form what is a, you know, ostensibly a Justice League to protect the universe. And you're introduced to, like, very important concepts that pay off big later on, like the Snowflake. You know, you're introduced to... um the Hark Corporation, you're introduced to a lot of stuff that doesn't really pay dividends till maybe 10 issues later, but when you hear them again, you, they, you recall them so easily because of the way they're kind of shoehorned. I guess the opposite of shoehorned into the story. It's very natural and weaving. And that first issue, it just sets the tone of a formulaic book, which is kind of like the the X-Files-ish, you know, emergency of the week. And it also lets you know that there's a huge mythos, a huge universe out there, multiple universes as we're, you know, told in the first issue. And we get to explore almost all the aspects of Planetary's universe. And it's done so majestically I mean, I, I mean, I could probably go on for another forty minutes about how great Planetary is, but I, I, I'll spare you. But to my original 
point, we learn throughout the whole volume who the secret society is one character at a time. So that's even like signposts as we go along as, you know, a reference back to that first issue. I thought it was, for lack of a better term, but like the first trade and eventually the whole series, but I thought the whole, they were ballsy about like the presentation of the book. Like each issue has its own totally different design. Like if you saw all these issues on a rack, you know, next to each other, they would all look like they belong to a different series. And even, I just looked at the issue two cover and it's the planetary, like on the planet logo, but it's in a different language and the island issue, but that's issue two. Like issue two, they've already like assaulted the the norm for what a, another like the follow up issue for a series is, and each issue is is totally different and it's gorgeous because it allows Cassidy to kind of experiment. Like he doesn't really do that anymore, sadly, but like even the design of the cover, everything is different. And like the Doc Brass issue was amazing because it interspersed him telling Elijah Snow his history and you know, being an adventurer and joining the secret society of other, you know, 1900 babies, millennium babies or century babies. And it's, it's told in this gorgeous kind of, you know, early century journal slash magazine that Doc Brass kept where it's mostly words and some pictures that, you know, tell like one panel, but it's all his notes. And it's just a gorgeous, like almost book told by doc brass and that's the whole issue like they took chances on i know this book came out sporadically every couple months you know eventually longer towards the end but these issues like they didn't give a crap they're going to tell a totally different story in a different way than you're getting in any other comic and and they were all brilliant in that first volume and the design for the the what you're talking about the good doctor episode or issue I mean, it, it, the the second page, you know, there's the cover, and then there's a page with panels like a comic. But then the next page is a full cover, is a full page spread of Doc Brass, and then the title, <laughs> "The Good Doctor: A Planetary Novel." So it sets it sets up right there, and then you're guessing, you're like, "Is there really going to be? Is this going to be a novel issue?" I mean, and when you start leafing through it, like every third page is an entire page with text and maybe a little drawing that you would find in an actual book. But the chances that were taking taken in the uh, the design, like you said, and if you if you even haven't read the book, but you Google search like for a planetary cover gallery, the uh, each and every cover for each and every issue is just spectacularly thought out and wreath mm-hmm. and made to not look like the previous. It's all different, and chances are taken to make it look like something new and fresh and and a, a, a wacky take how how great was the them doc brass talking about how you know the the world's greatest minds almost like a original justice league almost and they took it upon themselves to almost better the world and protect it and then they stumble upon this supercomputer quantum theory which talks which kind of gets into the bleed or the the multiverse which is like a huge part of the series where you know, there's all these alternate realities and alternate versions of things, and they're able to mold the planet for the better, knowing about other worlds and stuff. But they eventually see that, like, them doing this and ceasing other realities comes back to haunt them because 
another alternate version of them figure this out and realize they're about to be done in by them <laughs> and they come back and have this like battle that almost kills Doc Brass and pretty much everybody. Which is amazing. And then he, and they find him in this mountain that the entrance was a hologram so nobody knew the mountain had an entrance and he'd been there for decades protecting this machine that they built hope, hoping that nobody would uncover it and use it for evil. So he'd been sitting there with his decrepit old monkey legs <laughs> for, for decades and Planetary finds him. I mean like the stories that Warren Ellis kind of comes up with in these issues is just like unlike anything out there even now yeah that see that issue alone just just sets up planetary i mean it all i could say every issue sets up planetary but just there's so much of warren ellis in that one issue because the bleed is explained far better than anything you're going to read in the authority like this, this one issue. I apologize for that again. This one issue of Planetary sets up the bleed, which because the bleed and all these multiverses are shared in in this universe of Planetary, the Authority, probably some other books. But the bleed is explained. The snowflake like multiverse is explained, and there's so much Warren Ellis science fiction in this issue that it's it's one of my favorites because. Warren Ellis has a way of telling a science fiction story that is wonderfully confusing. Like, he makes sense of the confusion when he explains everything out, but you you don't really, you barely understand the concepts any Mm -hmm. more than when he set out, but you're so entertained by what the heck he's telling you that you're just just happy to be along for the ride and you, you have complete trust in what he's, telling you and what he's setting up for the future he's a master at that stuff i like especially uh that the shift ship which i believe is the third issue uh you you don't hear about the captain like the captain marvel homage that the pilot is supposed to be captain marvel you hear nothing more about it for another 20 issues Mm -hmm. and then it becomes the absolute thing that sit, that allows them to do what they have to do at the climax. I totally and forgot, that, too. so great. And I, I, even reading the end of the series later, I forgot. I was like, what secret is he talking about? And, I mean, that issue, too, was just, like, third issue in, he just drops mm-hmm. this bomb about how this alien civilization, you know, sent out to consume knowledge, you know, cr- uh, crash, and that's what this this site is, and that's what I walked on, and we just uncovered it. And they show, like, that glorious splash page of the ship going down in the time of the dinosaurs. And it's been sitting there this whole time underground and no one had seen it. Like, that stuff is, you know, it's probably a piece of science fiction lore for, for so often. But the way that it's it's graphically told in a comic book is so gorgeous. Yeah, and the way Ellis explains the shift ship and the... Oh, oh crap, what was I going to say? Oh, and and when at the very end of that issue is when Elijah Snow finally like steps up to the plate. He doesn't completely remember who he is, but this the captain who who was you know the captain of the ship who was made from Hark's human detective personal private detective. Like he was tr- unwillingly transformed into this captain of the new ship, and he needs a crew. 
Elijah Snow finally steps up to the rest of the planetary crew, and he's like, no, wait a minute. We're going to help this guy find a crew, and we're going to do everything we can using all of planetary's resources. We're not going to sit back and... Because the whole time he's complaining, he's like, so we just show up to the after events of these things, and we just document what we see. And he's like, no, this is we're taking, we're taking action. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's the beginning of Elijah Snow's greatness. And Ellis does a trick uh, that that has totally worked on me is that Elijah treats the fourth man as an antagonist. He has contempt for him, a hidden person that only funds and and has a, you know, just watch and catalog, don't interfere. And Elijah doesn't like this person. He flat out does not respect or trust the fourth man, which is a big aha moment when you discover who the fourth man actually is. You know, uh, I think the first issue, Jakita says he could be Adolf Hitler, he could be Bill Gates, we don't know, we just get the checks. And then when the, the wall finally comes down, uh, it's such an excellent twist that's right in front of you the whole time, uh, but just is, I don't know if, I, if this is a turn of phrase, but it is a very planetary thing to do. I think probably my overall favorite thing, and you see it in a lot of issues where he does his own version of famous superheroes and storylines where you eventually will talk about like the Superman stuff and the Wonder Woman and but the overall super antagonists in this book are the four, which are essentially another alternate version of the Fantastic Four. It's these four people that go into space and come back, you know, otherworldly. But they don't they don't come back to Earth with Mr. Fantastic's brain trying to do good and benefit the planet they do the complete opposite they did it for selfish reasons and he's this mr fantastic is working in the shadows and doing evil experiments across the world and he's out for himself and he's he's consuming this knowledge and he's doing nothing with it and the four are what planetary is always working against and i thought that was it's it's subtle but it's really in your face in the beginning but it drags on the whole series and you know, what would an evil Fantastic Four do if they were granted this power? And they're like, they are the Elseworlds version of the Fantastic Four. And I thought that was probably my favorite part of the whole series. Because if you had the ultimate antagonists, I mean, with with Mr. Fantastic's brain and, and that family coming back, I thought, I thought it was brilliant. That's actually a great introduction to Volume 2, uh, which is entitled The Fourth Man. And it catalogs who the four are and what has been their influence over the last uh, 40 years. In 1961, uh, the four uh, start the Artemis Project, which is the Black Ops moon landing trials. Uh, They're shot towards uh, the moon and they disappear. And they come back forever transformed, a la the Fantastic Four. Uh, Leather is um, Johnny Storm. kind of an electrified version of Johnny Storm. Uh, Suskind, the, the woman, is an absolute uh, invisible, invisible woman, only she has to wear special goggles because when she turns invisible, she can't see through Amazing. her own eyes, which was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Jacob Green, who is uh, the molten thing, and of course Randall Dowling, who is the uh, Mr. Fantastic who can extend his mind and take over your identity instead of uh, 
just his limbs, which I thought was a great twist. Yeah, and, and, and you don't even really get that explanation until maybe the second to last issue from a character, which I thought was was amazing because they don't really throw it in your face that he's a Mr. Fantastic because you don't even really know his powers except that he's pretty much just diabolical until the end. And that kind of explains some things that happened during the course of the story. Yeah, the second volume has uh, probably my favorite single issue, which is um, Planet Fiction. And Planet Fiction introduces you to the fourth man, Ambrose Chase. Or is he the fourth man? And the story is that Randall Dowling funded a experiment where they use the energy of the snowflake to create a fictional uh, universe with the rules made by the four. So, of course, that, that sets off alarms for planetary. And you go into this knowing that the experiment's over and something came back with the crew. Something stowed aboard the fictional or fictionauts uh, ship and wreaks havoc at the experiment site and basically kills everybody. And you find out that Ambrose Chase has these uh, physics distortion field. Uh, you know, he's kind of a bad A. He wears a white suit, like someone we know very dearly. And uh, he has a, he's kind of like, I don't know what his homage is, but he, you know, he carries two pistols. He has these telepathic-like powers. And at the end, he's killed. And that, puts the book in a totally different direction, which is, once again, uh, to Warren Ellis's credit, starts a revenge story, which also comes to a climax at the end of the series. And there's a great panel at the end of the issue where Warren Ellis gives you like four details, and I can't remember what they are, but Planetary has been around since X. Uh, who is Ambrose Chase and why does Elijah not remember him? And the fictional creature has never been discovered to this day great stuff yeah the fourth individual brought back from the sample return mission is still at large chiquita wagner was already a member of planetary when ambrose chase became the third man elijah snow has never heard of ambrose chase and in 1997 the fourth man was missing in action <clears throat> so basically he gives you the answers right there you just can't put it together for another two or three issues and i guess we should let the cat out of the proverbial bag um it's discovered that elijah snow himself is the fourth man who uh had some tinkering done in his brain to which we don't know why yet and his memories were blocked but he himself funded planetary and for every year that he's been alive and writing he's written a planetary guide which has been a catalog of the strange and weird things, secret history of the planet. And uh, unbeknownst to him, by writing this, he created the Four's lust for technology where Randall Downey got a hold of one of his guides. Wouldn't you just love for Warren Ellis to just start write, randomly writing some of these planetary guides and releasing them? Oh, yeah. Holy, oh can God. you imagine the stuff that would be contained within? Like, like even just like, Dale, what if they were all hardcovers? Make them, make them novels, make them whatever, make them Kindle singles, whatever you want to call them. 
I would buy the with, crap out of those. With little like scrawlings in there, little sketches and stuff like that. And uh, and like what I said earlier, like Indiana Jones meets X Files. I mean, but you would want to read Indiana Jones journals. Indiana Jones journal nineteen the Grail Diary the, exactly, which I'm sure probably has been replicated at this point. But like the that issue was fantastic, and then there's the one where obviously probably everyone's favorite issue, the Magic and Loss. Um, the the Trinity DC characters, and then the issue before Planet Fiction, the the day the Earth turned slower, which was like that nineteen fifties monster movie cover, and it's the story of like that that woman who was so irradiated during Dowling's testing, like he had this whole area where he just experimented on people and brought them back from the dead and tried to turn them into giant man and stuff and how things went wrong. Ugh, what a great issue. Yeah, which which the the history and the the world building behind that which is called City Zero and it was created basically in response or the cover story was in response to the Cold War where they would round up, you know, possible quote unquote like spies and uh, people that uh, you know were of Russian blood and and stuff like that but in reality that's just the story they told the outsiders these were just people that wouldn't be missed and they would just just completely experiment any way they could and would and and get away with it and the woman the 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 main subject of the story had a, like she was only around because she had a half life of 50 years. Amazing. She was so irradiated and experimented on. It wasn't even her. Well, it was her, but it was she she was living her half-life of 50 years. It completely stunning the world building behind this whole the flashbacks of City Zero, the giant ants that were uh living basically on the outskirts of the of the city because they were side effects of of these experiments and and the you know the the realistic giant man who basically oh, yeah. was just I, ha- I have that had a regular size brain. I have that page open. They show this picture of this guy like freaking out because he's oversized, like giant man. And and the the caption is: "We heard his bones stretching from beyond the compound when they put the treatment on him." I developed a lover in the city medical corps. He said that the autopsy revealed a normal sized brain hanging in a web of nerve tissue like cables in a skull several feet across. Oh my. God, it's like it's like there's so much there's so much of that stuff like superheroes gone wrong. Like, you know, what if that giant giant man there was like iterations before him where all they where they all died. And this was like the final one that worked like that stuff. You don't really see pretty much anywhere. Maybe maybe in like a Mark Miller comic somewhere. Also, uh, Science City Zero, once again, as part of that uh, breadcrumb trail will pay off huge later on. Well, we discover that Ambrose Chase is the son of a survivor. And then when that beautiful shift ship, and I say that very carefully because I could easily slip up on that, uh, they're eventually recruited by the pilot, the captain, to become the crew of the ship and to save the ship's life, as it were, and uh, start new adventures of their own, which... I think we'll all agree planetary ends in a way that begins so many other stories and you are definitely left wanting a lot more. And it's a sad thing to note. We'll probably never get it. 
I think the Planet Fiction page one is probably the best page one of the whole series. That house with a rocket in it and the moon behind it. Oh, it's gorgeous. How about John Lehman being an editor for most of the series? Yeah, that's cr- that's crazy. Kind of forgot about John Lehman of Chew fame. The um, there was how about the um, was it John Stone, the secret agent? That issue with that cover. That oh like, yeah, he was great. That that whole intro issue with like the nineteen sixty nine the female supervillain and their kind of chat, like all that, the whole issue design was gorgeous. How it fit in that decade and the, you know, the kind of bright orange colors. And then Mm -hmm. it shifts into 2000 where Elijah meets him at this super secluded bar where they're doing experiments to see where the human soul goes, you know, after death. And, I thought that was a really cool little almost side story, but it was monumental. It was like this one-off conversation where they explain why this bar is here and what they do around here. And it became like such a huge thing later in the story. And and even if it didn't, and it never did, you'd be like, man, I could read a whole series on just that little side story you just told. Which is breathtakingly creative. And you could very easily pick out any one of his homage characters and want to read a series written about them. Yeah. The, like even the Constantine homage, I would read that book and I hate Constantine. <laughs> yeah. The, the bar is called the last stop. And, uh, he, John Stone says they, they have their last drink and their photo taken here and then go to be strapped to an underground nuclear test device. And uh, that's just, that, that's just so cool that that bar exists i mean what kind of mind what kind of mind do you have to have to be able to uh, to build a world so complete and so i i mean i i envy every comic book writer because the entertainment value that they bring you know a simple mind like mine it just it's just blows me away to think about the the details that could go into the world warren ellis builds around planetary this bar being just one example. And kind of flipping that back to the origin, um, if you look beyond the last stop, you kind of get an idea now in that issue who Elijah really is. And the third volume, uh, leaving, leaving the 20th century, takes you back to the beginning of Elijah Snow's journey. And... And I'm just going to get tired of saying Warren Ellis does it again. So I'll have to come up with a code word uh, that means that. But we see Elijah as a young uh, Southern man, uh, you know, kind of an ignorant American tracking down the previous century babies, uh, those born January 1, 1800. And he comes across the literary heroes that would have been the old comic book heroes that Warren Ellis would have grown up with. So Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, Sherlock Holmes, um, Tom Sawyer, all these people that are the literary Tarzan, uh, Tarzan. Titans, Tarzan, uh, like the archetypes that the last century would have considered their heroes. So he kind of bridges the gap between the modern mythology of superheroes and the old fictional uh, mythology with that issue. 
And you just get great stuff like Elijah Snow was trained by Sherlock Holmes how to put, uh, you know, how to be a detective. And that allows him to begin to break down the memory blocks in his own mind. And, you know, he, he travels around the world really furthering his education. You get uh, magic in Planetary in a way that doesn't cheapen it when uh, the drummer pretty much tells you magic is the cheat codes of the universe. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, so it's science. It's not exactly magic and mumbo jumbo. And then, and one of the most breathtaking, mind expanding issues, you find out that the nature of the universe is not a multiverse. It's a microverse and the snowflake and everything we've learned for the previous issues is just a projection of an informational underpinning that is run by these microbes that are, you know, essentially God who just catalog information and share everything with you. And that's heaven. We go to this information superhighway and that is what heaven is for us. And the multiverse is just a hologram that the data underpinning is acting out. It's getting deep. It's getting I mean, deep right now. It's getting very it's deep. Like snow crash. It's getting, it's getting wild. Jonesy's brain is a snowflake right now. And I can't, I, I can't I, we're it. all snowflakes. We're all rotating on a snowflake that is itself rotating in my own heart. How we haven't talked about it the whole time, maybe because it's soon, but John Cassidy was so on point at the beginning of this trade. Like, for the rest of the trade, obviously he was on point in the trade before this. But that Sherlock Holmes issue that starts this one, and <sighs> Elijah kind of beating these little traps and puzzles to get to Sherlock Holmes and the Dracula, his bodyguard, his his bodyguard against his will. Like, that part, I loved hearing, you know... I love first. I loved Elijah Snow as like a as a youth because he he wasn't as you know I don't want to say confident because he was obviously very confident, but his stature was different. He had an American accent that Sherlock Holmes hated, and mm-hmm. but not only that, but you find Sherlock Holmes at a time of his life where he was very old and that he's he's gotten into things later in his life that he's not too proud of. He's working with people to try to do things that you know maybe he wouldn't have partnered up with in his youth and Dracula essentially is kind of his watchdog at this point to make sure that he does according to plan what he's agreed to. I love that. I love that issue and how he explains how his regret, you know, you know, I, I, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but he talks about his regret for his, the second half of his life. I thought it was great. Also, you kind of discover in this volume, how effective Elijah's powers really are. Uh, you know, he's called Elijah Snow. He has uh, control over temperature. Uh, essentially, he can freeze or thaw out or yeah, anything but heat. He can do heat subtraction, I think is how Jakita um, describes it. But it's super useful. And how great is it to have a protagonist that doesn't have superhuman strength or can fly and, and ha- or telekinesis and has all these you know, superhuman abilities, but Elijah just has this one power, which he uses to great effectiveness. And, uh, <laughs> 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 and just how the big, 
like Elijah was was so young and virile. It yeah, it took five years of training with under Sherlock Holmes to kind of settle him down and like class him up, and and that's just cool that because of Sherlock Holmes, Elijah Snow is a hundred percent classier than he was mm. before stepping foot in and kicking Dracula in the in the frozen in crotch. the yards. And they even tease the conversation with Sherlock Holmes the the month before. There's even like exact panels that Cassidy drew where he gets kind of visions of his past a little bit. Uh, yeah, when uh, when he's like basically grilling his own team. This is a couple issues before, but this is when he starts to remember that he's the fourth man. Mm-hmm. And the whole issue is just him like in the face of the, his teammates because uh, he's figuring everything out and, and the, he figures out the memory blocks and what they're not telling him and stuff like that. It's just an is- an event. It's an eventful issue because of the information that's just flowing out of it. And that's when he vows to get revenge on the four. And uh, that's when the flat, that's when the panels of Sherlock, Mr. Ohms are uh, in Elijah Snow's memory. How, how about the Thor uh, story where they, they find Thor's, like, oh, they, they yeah. find, like, the stick that eventually brings you the hammer that looks like Thor's hammer, and he they find out that it's it's coming from a different dimension, and they don't know what else is on the other side, so Elijah decides to venture with the hammer the next time they do, like, its thing, and go with it to wherever it was going, and he figures out that they destroyed this the four destroyed this entire world just to store these weapons yeah. in this dimension and it's just like this elaborate closet to store everything that they find which is so great because when it's not thor's hammer it's donald blake's walking mm. walking cane as when when thor for for the uh people not familiar uh, who and probably who haven't read any of jan jurgen's thor run <laughs> When Thor's not Thor, he's Donald Blake, M.D., and he has a walk a walking stick. So it's the whole issue of this planetary is based on Donald Blake's w- walking stick and the hammer. It's amazing. And then come to find out, a whole world was just ev- eviscerated to create an armory, a, sp- a holding space for the weapons that the four find. God. Amazing. So, let's come to the fourth. Wait, hold on. Before you do, okay. We right. we I wanted to talk about it, and I forgot, but we skipped over the magic and loss issue with the Superman, the Green Lantern, and the Wonder Woman. Mm, so, yeah. in oh wait, hold on. So long, SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> the the magic and loss issue is. The whole issue is devoted to, you know, it, this is the Wildstorm universe, which you kind of forget about. It's not really important, but this universe was a comic book universe with other superheroes like the the, the Authority. Don't bother reading Volume 1 Authority. Thanks, Gen Z. And you wonder, you know, there's these... I just helped everyone. These other versions. Like, well, what happened? You know, is there a Superman in this universe? And there is. So this story tells, you know, these aliens on this dying planet, they send out their young child to wherever and there's also a young girl on an amazonian island you know full of women that have never spoken to a a man in thousands of years that have perfected like genetic cloning and she sends her youngest daughter out to the world and there's also this 
space policeman, you know, that is that is brought together by this council. And you see... He has a blue lamp. <laughs> yeah. And you see what happens on this planetary world. Like, do these people exist? And they, they do. And, and it's funny because the super the child in the rocket ship lands and William Leather gets there first before the before mom pa Kent this was a an atrocity by the way so these 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 government officials are there holding fast and not sure what to do so Will, William Leather gets there and he's on the phone with Dowling and before he can hear him finish the sentence he just zaps the baby and burns it alive <laughs> Before it can really, you know, get the power of the sun, because I think it was at nighttime when the ship landed. So he kills what would have been Superman on this planet, and they destroy the Amazonian, you know, island, and they vivisect the Green Lantern character and take out the power that he was given by this space council. I thought that was, I think it was one of my probably the favorite issue of the whole run. I think without you know beating everybody over the head with the theme. You know, Warren Ellis just wanted to say that, you know, these characters are good characters that always win, to quote, you know, rest in peace, Mark, uh, that inspire the world. And that can't happen <laughs> on this earth while the four exist. So they literally destroy hope by killing a baby, uh, eradicating an island from space with a death ray. And then surgically removing the power battery of a Green Lantern, and I think selling it on the black market like it was nothing. I, warned, I, I was, mean, God. yeah, the it's just the panels of him on the phone with Dowling as the ships as Superman's ship opens, and the baby's making baby noises, and Leather's like arguing with Dowling on the phone, so he's barely paying attention to what's happening, but off panel. You know, as the baby's making noises, the baby just stops making noises. And then he's like, that's just your rotten luck. I just incinerated the little freak. <laughs> Next time, be more specific. <laughs> so Dowling would have wanted the thing alive, but he's just too busy fighting with Dowling. Leather just kills him right off. And then the, the worst part is you can hear the hissing of the burns and the baby just going, ee, <laughs> like in the background. They do that kind of lettering. And also, too, the the other issue, which was fantastic, was that Opak reissue where Elijah uh, journeys to this, you know, kind of hidden civilization that's thousands of years ahead of us in every way. And it's also the issue with this Tarzan character. He integrates with this civilization and Elijah eventually falls in love with one of the women there. And man, some of the artwork in this in this issue where uh, yeah. that woman from the that Elijah falls in love with is walking down those stairs wearing that like drape over herself. My lord. Heavens. Yeah, the and that that begins probably my love affair with Chiquita Wagner as a character. You know, Elijah loves her mother and is so in love with her that even when he finds out that she's cheated on him with uh, Lord Blackstock, he still agrees to take the child and save her from Opak Ray, which is now receding away from humanity. And then... Even though he gives uh, her to a German couple to kind of raise and give a normal life, he still monitors her entire life and loves her, not only because of the woman she becomes, but because of this old torch that he still carries for that, you know, his first love from Opa Gray. 
and that just gives Jakita so much more depth than just the muscle of planetary and kind of makes her like a noble daughter to Elijah. And when you discover the drummer's um, origin in this volume, you realize that Elijah is put there to save things. And planetary goes from an archaeological, you know, mystery organization to a tight knit family. And that's another shift in the story that you don't get from the first volume, but really means a lot when you're like 18 issues in and you discover all this stuff. How, how amazing too. It's almost like Warren Ellis told John Cassate, draw this woman as the sexiest woman ever in every panel (laughs) there. That's your only mission. And he does every panel. She's so gorgeous. And Blackstone is this character that he's Tarzan, but he comes and goes as he pleases in the civilization. And he, and he almost comes there for fun. And what's great, I thought was that the society knew this and they were very aware of this about how he viewed them as a society and he treats them as he thinks he's above us, but he's not really. And I thought that was a great twist. And I was really, the second read through, I didn't, not, it's not the second time I read it, but the first time the whole trip through, I didn't catch that Blackstone, they even alluded to Blackstone not having been with any of the women there, not because he was forbidden, but they almost alluded to because he preferred men. Did you catch that comment? Yeah, I I don't know that they come out and say it, but he was, I don't know, like omnisexual. Like he didn't have normal people urges. He kind of found pleasure wherever he wanted it. And I kind of took it as, you know, I don't know if it was just men or just human beings. You know what I mean? Like he preferred whatever was his, whatever was his spice of life that day. Right, whatever yeah. was currently on his Which mind. Which was yeah, even had... more of a bummer when it found out that Blackstone was Chiquita's father. Because, like, Elijah obviously was the perfect match for the mother. But, like, when she reveals that it's Blackstone's, you're like, oh, man, come on. Yeah, I was crushed. It was it was crushing, but so cool that they were so adult, I guess, adult about it. That hmm. when Elijah leaves, he's having a conversation with his lady. And it's almost sort of... Not it, neither would be surprised if it were to happen. He's like, I'm going to leave, and then you know, you might be with Blackstone. It might, you know, it, when I come back, you might be with him or something like that. But he, she, she matter of factly says, you know, that may be the case, but you're just a totally different breed of man, and and she loves him for his like. There's nothing else. There's something in him that no man could ever provide her. But she may, you know, she may bet another man anyway because that's life. And they're adults with needs. You know what I mean? It was it was really cool that they had this adult like conversation. But Elijah Snow was still reassured that he's the one, but he can't be around because you know he's not even supposed to be laying with her as it is. There are rules to that kind of stuff. <laughs> Betting, and also the <laughs> laying with her. Very political. The uh, the last issue. I thought was also one of the best ones, and we'll probably say that a few more times, but the gun club, about how this group, if we remember the year, maybe it was like 1890 or 1920, I can't remember, but this group of men tried to get to the moon before anybody else. 
Oh yeah, yeah. They uh, they invent the pipeline. Yeah, they had this elaborate that pipeline. shoots them. It's yeah. It's the pipe. This pipeline is a, is is like a a long rifle barrel. That's what it turns out to be. It's just a huge gun, and they load themselves up into this round bullet. That's a spaceship that's going to, when they fire this gun, it's supposed to launch, go leave Earth's atmosphere and hit the moon. 1851. Which is, I mean, and it's called the gun club. Like, there are members of this gun club, and they're they're not gun club because they're hunting with their guns. They they make a gun long enough to shoot shoot themselves to the moon. And how, how bonkers is that? 1851... They're trying to shoot themselves to the moon. What do they expect to happen? Like at that time, what do you expect to happen if you do hit the moon? You know, in this little in this little bullet that they've crafted for themselves. Like they're they're not going to breathe anywhere. The second like that, and they shot them out. The people, their families, they didn't come back. They're left wondering: Did they make it to the moon? You know, are they living on the moon right now with moon wives? They have no idea. And the 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 bullet, this ball gets to a point where it hits this gravitational pull where it just exists outside of our atmosphere and it's just going nowhere. It's in the same exact moment. So they're stuck in this ball and then eventually it comes back to Earth and Planetary is there to to open it. And they're, you know, these people in this ball are long dead. It's like this realistic, you know, what happens if this ever took place? These people would just die in this ball and they would come back in skeletons. And I thought that was an amazing page. They open it up, and it's just these bones wearing these little old school suits. Yeah, that would have never. As soon as if they did somehow get to the moon, as soon as they open the capsule, their suits would have never held out. You know, the little birdcage helmets. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is that going to do exactly? But I mean, I thought like just you never. I I don't know if like if this has ever been attempted. It's like a crazy question, but like just to see that these people experimented it that early on is such a cool idea and they even get to that area like early in the issue you can see the kind of pipeline and they don't even talk about it they they just breeze right past it and they have no idea what it is yet yeah which is great because you you kind of think maybe somehow it's going to come back into play later in the issue but when they land their helicopter because something's going to hit earth there's this like decrepit pipeline in the background. You think it could be an oil pipeline? Maybe I'm like maybe they're in Alaska somewhere, or Canada, because the there's a, this pipeline in the background that's never talked about, and these old decrepit sheds, which turn out to have like paperwork in it and pictures of the Gun Club and stuff like that. It's just been 150 years. It's it's absolutely incredible. God, I just I just started paging through Volume Four because we're about to talk about it, and the first issue of that. Good gracious first issue of that one but the so the end of this the gun club even though it's very one shoddy the end of the gun club they all they all go there because they know that one of the four is going to be there as well to kind of inspect what's going to be landing because whatever's out there in 150 years they are also gatherers of knowledge but for all the wrong reasons somebody from the four is going to be there and that's when they capture Leather. William Leather. Poor guy. So, space-time archaeology. Bittersweet right now, guys. I'm not going to lie. It's the fourth and final volume of Planetary. And it is all about getting the four of their comeuppance. And Elijah rallies himself 
withdraws from Chiquita and the drummer as he ultimately plots to take the four down. And the series culminates in one of the coolest gambits uh, that I have ever seen on a printed page. And you find out how and why Randall Dowling got his powers and what it means to the security and future of the planet Earth. Uh, what a wonderful ending. What a wonderful bow tie ending to all those little sprinkles that Warren Ellis did the first volume and second volume. And just to give you a brief further uh, explanation, the four, when they go through this gate in uh, lunar space, they come out on a through the bleed in a parallel universe where the Earth is totally ruled by superhumans. And the superhumans are kind of like uh, Arthur C. Clarke's uh, race that has sent the monoliths out. They want to view and know and, and learn just like uh, planetary, just like the four. But they also view everything as a threat. So Randall Dowling makes a deal where if you give us superhuman abilities, we'll gather all the knowledge that we know on our, our version of Earth, report it back to you. And we'll also just give you the planet as, uh, you know, a mining ground for our uh, all our resources and all our technology. And then we'll go, uh, we'll just go jump on another Earth and you can do whatever you want. So Elijah, n- figuring this out and gathering his resources, including that shift ship, finally manages to outwit the four by going after their egos dumps their bodies on this parallel earth because now he can travel anywhere he wants with this ship and the power of teleportation which is the only ability that the four were lacking and how he was able to kind of get the upper hand and basically and i don't know the speech but you guys might have the page open we're we're flying right uh, right through this flying we don't even have to talk about it you're talking about the ending right now uh, all right okay i'm I'm gonna back (laughs) off i'm gonna back off i'm so I'm so caught up in it, guys, right now. I, I drifted I for just, five I drifted voice. for two seconds and then realized you were revealing the final issue pretty much of the story, <laughs> the grand fight at the That's end. That's why you can't drift. You can't drift. Not with me around. <laughs> the uh, So, yeah, the, the final volume, you're right, that he goes after the alter egos and then he, they capture William Leather and then there's this fantastic torture scene where Elijah puts on this, like, uh, knife goggles on William Leather, which is horrifying. <laughs> knife goggles. And the Jacob Green one, I thought was really great. So they find this like drifting alien spacecraft just behind 40 times further away than the moon or something. And to go see what it is, they send these kind of angels that they cap- captured decades previous. <clears throat> and their sole job is to consume information about the universe. And that's all they want to do. And they love to do it. Yeah. They don't even care that they're captured. Right. They've been housing them in this like secret facility for so long, which almost makes them look like they're really bummed out about it, but they're so stoked to then be sent to this spacecraft. So Elijah's plan is the four will have now also discovered this spacecraft that we just did, so they'll send out their pilot, Jacob Green, who's essentially their thing, the thing. And... This this story blew my mind. So there's this alien spacecraft that's so vast. They don't. I'm not sure if they talked about how big it was, but 
the angels are able to, or they they're equipped with something that will stream what they see to the planetary, and the inside of this spacecraft is so large that there it's almost like another planet and it has its own atmosphere inside and it's been adrift for so long that what life was in there at one time is now evolved into its own civilization mm-hmm. and the angels are flying by and they're seeing like people in this area like running and living naked in the trees and it's just like the whole thing blew my mind and then eventually what Elijah does to get rid of Jacob Green is even more dark and horrifying about the lengths that he'll go to get rid of him because he blows up their ship nearby and just sends this spacecraft adrift. He's like, he, don't, he didn't care about it because in order to get rid of Jacob Green, he just sends this new civilization in an alien space, spacecraft into nothingness, and he, they may never see it again. Right, so Jacob Green is alive on this civilization, but... He's never getting back to Earth. He's never going to reconnect with the two other members, the existing members of the the four. He's just there now, and he's stranded, hardcore. It's very. I got a very um, Ender's Game feel to it. If if you've ever read the book Ender's Game, when Ender is playing these, uh, basically these games to test his metal. And to exercise his mind, there's a there's a part in in this game where he stumbles upon this realm with a a giant that's laying dead, decomposing, and then there's like life popping up and surviving around it. They're using the giant for shelter and stuff like that. I think it's just bones in the in the book, but it's very. I'm very curious to see if that was any influence on those couple pages hmm. Warren Ellis did. Jones, are you done checking Twitter over there? <laughs> Did you get my head scaled just right in the <laughs> in the new GIMP image? Or? I'm gonna I'm gonna blow up your head so big and just hang it above my. How doorway. about the 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 dream issue? Was really psychedelic, where he was like drugged and he went to this woman, kind of seeking answers about certain things, and that stuff was far out, man. Great Cassidy display for that one. I'm, like this whole time we're talking, I'm just I'm keeping up by thumbing through this huge omnibus. <laughs> Do you have? Its own, does it have its own table that you you place the omnibus atop just to hold its weight? Yeah, I, yeah. I had to reinforce this this last leg of the table here next to my so my computer doesn't come <laughs> tumbling down over top of it. To yeah, the that one was probably my. It's beautiful, but it's probably my least favorite because that gets starts getting into the wackiness. Of uh, of Warren Ellis, you can. There are certain points of the book on the reread where it's almost like there's a word generator online where he just started bringing words together and they became things. Like he just picked two random words and this became an elaborate space theory. (laughs) And I started to see it like very often. I was like, you know, Warren, you know as well as I do. That's just nonsense words that you just (laughs) place in front of each other, but it sounds great. cosmic shamanism (laughs) (laughs) and the people just said them like 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 it was regular words but one of my favorite combination is the murder kernels (laughs) even though we don't ever find out who they are or what they did that's that's one like you know he he popped that into the computer and murder murder kernels popped up he's like 
damn it, we got another winner. I'm putting this right in the script <laughs> yeah. here. Murder Colonels. High-fived himself. He probably has his own app written for him. <laughs> and he just, people are just constantly throwing words in there for him. Then, he, like, if he, you know, if he just configures it for, I need a two-word combination this time. And he just clicks generate. <laughs> Boom. How about the, the torture of William Leather issue? Where you see how Dowling and Leather are connected, oh, I thought that was a really cool issue too. That like Lone Ranger ish issue. The the cover starting from the cover and moving on from there, the cover's very Lone Ranger, but then you just find out about the the Leather family and what was it, Bill Leather or Dan? I forget the the older Leather who was a cent- in the shadow. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, who's a century baby. And he upholds the law, and it's but and then his son is like jaded because he's a bastard. He's not the son of his at all. He's just the son because he doesn't have any superpowers at all. He he's the son of his mother, and then and the mailman or or this guy's assistant or something. So he wants revenge, and he wants a little taste of what his dad had, and he's willing to be a bad guy to do it. Mm. So great, and that's when he puts the uh, <clears throat> like the Iron Maiden goggles <laughs> on. I think that's the that's oh, the yeah, uh, episode. Yeah, that, it's that that's the, the very end of that issue where he he pulls those straps on. And I'm, I'm skipping over the drummer issue, but where they reveal like the four and Dowling kind of pulling the strings and telling. You know, Junzi talked about how they made this deal with this other planet in another universe. When Dowling tells them how they're going to be gods, essentially, like there's this doorway we go through and we'll become superhuman because it's normal over here. I thought it was great that their reactions were not like to second guess the motives at all. Like you could tell instantly that they were like, we just sold out the planet Earth. In, for, in the 50 years from now, we just sold out our planet, but we'll be superhumans? Okay, let's do it. Like that, it, he, it, it, there was no debate when he said, oh, I just had to sell out Earth, and they're going to take it in 50 years. But we go through here, we'll be superhuman. And Suskind was like not even shocked at all. She was just She's full like, yeah, on, there's tons of other Earths. Yeah. That's fine. Which, I mean, at that point, too, if you're thinking about it, that knowledge of having millions of other realities or other Earths to just hop into, like, what would your reaction be to that? Like, I, I don't know how their brains just didn't melt at that point. Yeah, I mean, would you immediately stop caring? Other than your family, if there's infinite number of Earths out there, would you immediately stop caring about the one you're on? I mean, mm. if there's so many different possibilities, you could almost see their point their point of view if they're especially if they're granted superpowers now are they going to have these superpowers on all the earths who knows but so many more possibilities Dale underscore dowling <laughs> i mean dowling i'm just licking my lips just thinking about the uh the possibilities how how great was we just got sold out for the record <laughs> <laughs> we have 50 minutes until we're claimed the uh the conversation on the phone between dowling and snow where he turns the tables and says, you meet me here and I just want your information and, and you know, that'll be that. That's all I want from you. His like trick to get Dowling to this area. Yeah. You no longer mean anything to me. You're no longer a threat. So great. And also this is like really the first time we see Dowling outside of a flashback. And he has like those professor X eyebrows 
that are just like he looks like the most evil person you've ever seen. Just uh-huh. the the first glance, you just want to punch him in the mouth. And Cassidy, like his stuff is just totally on display in this issue too. It looked like he took like four months to draw it. It's so gorgeous. If there if there was one um thing that I would say I didn't like about Jonesy's uh finale that he already talked about and revealed before we even get to it. Mm. So he he calls Dowling to this place because the shift ship is, you know, underneath them and they're gonna raise up the ship that crashed in the time of the dinosaurs because nobody else knows about it except for Snow. So this is his one wild card. The one thing that b- kind of like made me second guess, so essentially Dowling and Suskind just fall into this grand canyon where the ship comes out of, and that's how they die. I yeah. feel like that's such a lame way to die if you have just been granted superhuman powers. Like, I feel like Dowling could have easily escaped this or had a plan. Like, you know, just him falling 800 feet to his death, it wasn't grand enough in my view. Yeah, even... <clears throat> Even if they didn't have the superpowers to fly, which they didn't, they're still supposed to be the smartest people and be prepared for that sort of thing. Like, you could picture almost anybody else in comicdom to have a backup plan. Like, in my in my view on this read this time, and maybe I'll have a different opinion in the future, but it, it was like the equivalent of Dowling slipping on a banana peel, breaking his <laughs> neck, and, 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 and Snow placed the banana peel. That, by those issues, the pacing felt changed, and I'd, I'd, I'm, I'd be curious to know if that was because Warren Ellis was ready, or... Like I'd like to know the release schedule of these later issues because if this these came out in two thousand seven two thousand nine, and he just needed to wrap it up, wrap up this series that started in nineteen ninety nine. I'm I'm curious because for the first three volumes, I mean things are taking their time. Like they don't mm-hmm. capture the first one of the four until the end of the third volume, but the fourth volume wraps everything up. And I'm I wonder. I think I I have to. Th- Maybe someone can pull up comicbookdb.com and see when the release dates for the final three issues were, but I'm pretty sure they were late. Like, I remember the finale of Planetary being, like, maybe six months at least from the last issue, but I think that the Ambrose Chase issue was technically the last one, so maybe that was the one that was super late. Mm. But I'm not sure. That was maybe just, like, the only one... And, you know, like I said, maybe on a reread it'll feel different, but it just felt like it wasn't grand enough. Like yeah, it maybe it maybe yeah. that was the insult to Dowling that it wasn't a grand finale for them. He just kind of just squashed under his own weight after falling into a ditch. Yeah, which exactly which I felt too. Now I, I I did he pace that on purpose like that, or did he it, did he do that as an example because in the end without. They're, I, I don't know. I, can, I can't even Jonesy, Jonesy, jump in here, please. Please. Like, does that just I, show how vulnerable and how human they still are? Maybe. In the end, you know what I mean? I glanced, I, I mean, I just glanced at the pages as you guys were finishing up. And 
it's definitely, I think, meant to be a slight to Dowling and his, you know, all-encompassing ego that he's prepared for everything. He has all the best technology. In the end, it's that one thing that he doesn't have that causes his undoing. And as he falls, you know, to his death, he basically says, Snow, you, you be. And there is a majestic... Uh, splash page of them sailing this sh- uh, shift ship you be away <laughs> and uh, well I don't want to say you know, the word whatever uh, uh, well Dale said bastard I think that's what Warren Ellis' script said you be <laughs> be, be. <laughs> I did just pull up a comic book DB FYI uh, in from the cold which was issue 25 June 2006 issue 26 which was the this banana peel issue came out December 2006. So there was a gap. And mind-blowingly, issue 27, the final issue, came out December 2009. So a three-year gap between the the final issue and the penultimate. penultimate. That's why it it feels like such a coda, then. That makes a lot more sense, a three-year gap. Mm Mm-hmm. Because after after Snow is sent, you know, goes and tells the alien race, "Hey, look, um, I have all this technology. I'll just bring it to bear on you, or maybe I'll just go to the informational underpinning of the universe and just delete you if I feel like it." So there's your warning, and that feels like the natural end to the story. And then the final issue where they save Ambrose Chase feels like an epilogue. Like I said, like an afterthought, like an epilogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like he's just like, John, we just got to get through this one more, man. Let's Can we just set aside some time in the next decade? Set aside three years to finish <laughs> right. this. And I will say that the that issue where they talk about time travel and saving Ambrose, there's like one point where there's like a mind-alarming like sentence about how time travel works. And even the characters shell where they talk about you can only go back to the date where the first time machine was turned on because otherwise how would you go back in time? And they have like this reveal themselves that like you just blew my mind when you just said that drummer. And they even talk about and the fact that the moment that we turn on this time machine that we've now created, the universe will implode upon itself because everyone will be coming back to this point from the future because we just flipped it on and now time travel is possible. And like that, I read that like five times and it just like made me wet myself. Just that the way he, the way he wrote it, you got it like instantly. And it wasn't just ham handed time travel, you know, murder kernels. It just made sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the, the throughput, the bottlenecking that would occur when everybody in all of future time is coming back to the time when the first time machine was created, like the bottlenecking that would occur and everybody would be, it is just, just blows your and, mind apart. And and the, he has like a specific sentence too, where it says, therefore the whole of the future can be said to have happened at once and you can't change it because it's already happened. And like, I just like sat there like rereading it because there's like, there's no like dispute to that. Like you can't be like, well, that's not true because like, that's just it. Like, that's the end of time travel discussion, and Drummer just told you, right to your mouth. Then Warren Ellis just puts his hand up to your face and walks away. <laughs> At a con. And he said, he says, morning sinners. 
That's what he says to you, and then he walks <laughs> <Yeah>. off. <laughs> Here, I just tweeted you a picture of a man who ate his own genitals. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy, sinners. Enjoy, sinners. <laughs> but, I mean, that the, the issue was that epilogue probably might have taken him three years to write anyway. Just the, the thickness of time travel and quantum physics and... All the right that stuff. Of course, he had to go back in time first. The, wor- the right combination of word-generated <laughs> sentences. <laughs> the web, his word-generator website was down for two years. That's why it took so long to get it back up. When GeoCities went through that big <laughs> reformation. <laughs> it's so... I mean, the epilogue issue is so great that it got done. I mean, it th- took three years. I mean, people probably couldn't really have cared at that point but at least they got it through like you know warren wanted to at least get this one last story out because they wait around they you know they probably waited around for three years trying to sync back up to get it done but it it held it just holds the potential to be the beginning of something great again like this could have been the first issue or the you know this now planetary is whole again like it it has the possibility to just be you know the the stories and the one shots could just keep going from there but i guess it's that's why it's a good place to end it because now in the planetary universe in your head their adventures are still going on whether he's writing stories for it or not mm-hmm. mm. i mean never dig in to find out who that fictional person was Oh, the miss the, the missing one, the fourth one. I is always large think or that it's in. I always think it's somewhere in in my face, and I'm just missing who it is, and it drives me it's nuts. Every time I we have to Google it. There's probably already fanfic about it. <laughs> it's Warren Ellis, maybe <laughs> written written by Bones. He loves Jeer. <laughs> you can buy it for your Kindle one for two dollars. Kindle singles <laughs> starring Bonesy. I mean, we've said it for I don't know how many years, but. I mean, this is one of the top comic books in the last dec- two decades. Easy. I mean, maybe the best mainstream comic book the last two, 20 years. Uh, yeah, I re- and and for the Wildstorm universe, which is nutty, but if you if you really want something great and you're prepared to stick it out, because that's the only way you can really experience... Get the Omnibus. It's like 40-some dollars on Amazon. You got to do it. That's you, the only I way. mean, because stuff like this to tell one complete story like this, it's it's tough. It's not you know, it's rare to be out there. Like, how are we even doing that right now? Is that a system of wires that's helping you do that? Is that the casing? Is that legit weightless? That doesn't make any sense. What I'm saying. That's got to be eighty pounds. I'm. I have the powers of Ambrose Chase. I am <laughs> the story doctor, reality. I'm doctoring physics right now. <laughs> but yeah, the highly recommend that you buckle down and you read the whole thing like there's not much to compare it to nowadays i was thinking maybe wasteland because we did the we did only the first volume of that but i know that's just one complete story and it's like up to issue 53 or something like that but there's not much out there where the creators for this many issues are telling one story Especially in mainstream comics, like this is, this would be creator own stuff that's making no money. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely timeless and fabulous, and 
there's something so great about it. And it's cool that Elijah Snow isn't your typical comic book main character. He's not, you know, he's, he's, we think he's awesome and he is awesome, but he's not like super chiseled. He's not like, he I don't be, know, I model. Mean, he's, he's lightly chiseled, maybe. He's lightly chiseled. He's he's got good. He's taste got a soft in, chisel. He's got a good taste in pretty much anything. So f- mm-hmm. for us, he is the he's our he's our he's the classiest hero there is. Yeah, honestly. And I and I always co- make a, a comment about this, but I mean uh, this this book took pretty much a decade to finish, and there's only 27 issues. You know, and maybe mm-hmm. people were up in arms about that at the time, but now nobody cares. Now for the rest of, you know, time or however long people are talking about comic books, no one will ever remember that. And who cares? It's collected in mm-hmm. two trades, an omnibus, you know, four trades. It doesn't matter now. You can read it in its collective form and who cares that it was late for that long? Right, because you'll ne- certainly don't. you'll never feel that pain. You'll never feel that frustration. It's there. Done. It's there for the. It's there for the reading. It's there for, and it's never going away. Now it's co- it, in its collected form. It's it's there for the enjoyment, man. God, Jonesy, closing. Mm. Do you want to close out our thoughts on planetary? Or oh wait, no, I'm sorry. We still have the uh, the one shots to talk about. Do we even want to talk about that? Or are we going to save that for? <laughs> I don't the know. We're side? like six and a half hours in. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the letters, I'll just say. If you're a new listener, or if you're a listener who has not yet read Planetary, I think, uh, you know, spoilers, <laughs> also, you have to, at this point, after hearing us talk for an hour and a half, two hours, three days, I'm not sure how long it's been. If you're new to the show and you listen to this two-hour episode, thank you very much. <laughs> Just, you, ha- you owe it to yourself to read it. And it will change the way you look at comics. And it certainly will broaden your horizons and introduce you to what's really out there. And that's what this book did for me. As a guy who bought Spider-Man and Batman every month and never ventured outside the big two. Well, you know, And this is, I guess, the wild store, so it's kind of connected to DC. But when I first read it, it kind of there was an epiphany that there was so much more out there to be read and understood. And Planetary was my planetary guide into the bigger world of the stories that could be told so uh, with comics. And uh, I just, I give it, you know, the highest possible recommendation. Please go out and read it. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you. Letters at paperkeg.com. You shoot us a letter, we might read it on the era. Firstly, uh, I mean, the feedback, guys. Thank you. I, I know we, we, we're so focused on the format of the show and not kind of veering off because once we start spiraling off format, we forget what we're doing and what we are, but... If we don't thank you enough, we apologize. We always in our hearts are thanking everyone who listens and the feedback we got for 100 for episode 150 is unprecedented. Right now. Unprecedented 150. 
So the uh, feedback. So the first letter we got is another, uh, another forty minutes of letters right now. <laughs> yeah, that's unprecedented uh, length of I'll time. Only get to uh, Red Lantern's letter. We'll be here for a while. This is a throwback to the comics podcast when we uh, we just had to load up tape after tape because <laughs> we we recorded at a tape store and we just had all kinds of, to record to. Uh, Sean Miller at uh, under our Anchor Comics under an anchor on Twitter. The new Somni? Question mark. What? Are you gents? He doesn't even know what he's saying. Are you gents familiar with Evan Doc Shanner? He has quickly become one of my favorites. I've been buying comics that he has drawn. If I like the character or not. Now I don't want to be blasphemous, but you. But you are. You're being. But could he be the new Somni? Question mark. His Adventures of Superman story was pretty darn good. Good. Just saying, guys. Just saying. On an unrelated note, I was also thinking DC's The New Frontier could be a good book club or Batgirl Year One. Yeah. Batgirl Year One is one of my favorites. The art is fantastic. Any takers, eh? Eh? I stopped listening after Somni was no longer the new Somni. Did we not do New Frontier for Paper Keg nope. or was that the, the precursor? Did we do it for the old comics podcast? We may have, um, and that's why it wasn't done for for at least the first year of Paper Keg. We everything that was done on the old comics podcast was embargoed because we needed to get out there. We didn't want to jump. We didn't want to go back to the same familiar pool of books that was already done amongst us and and people. Probably every comics podcast out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So that was done. The new frontier. So the new frontier at that time would have been done. But I think the new frontier is on the list as a possibility. I think we could take that out of embargo status. Now nothing is embargoed. It's all it's permitted. Crazy here. Everything is permitted. Crazy. Uh, the next letter, very simply, from our friend uh, of the show, Jay Moore Peterson, uh, simply says, "Which is the better band name? The Hard R's." <laughs> Hard R-ing or miles long and the hard R's. Any alternatives or improvements <laughs> you can offer? Uh, glad to know for all time, episode 150 will never escape the hard R-ing that is referred to on the show. Horrifying email. Miles long and the hard R's is, I don't know where he got miles that's, long from. That's my, that's also my pick, unofficially. <laughs> unofficially. Hey guys, I thought Paper Keg wasn't going to be at the comic book shop for free comic book day, but then I saw pictures of Dale and Jonesy attending. Have Dale and Jonesy been fired from the show? Please ease my mind. P.S. Blah, 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 Comixology, blah, 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 Amazon, blah, blah, blah. People need to just settle down and go back to reading comics. Love, huge friend of the show, at Catcher, who's been known to drive from Canada to the Pennsylvania tri-state area for paper cake meetups in years past. I think he still might be wanted by the state of New York for unpaid uh, speeding tickets. He can't cross uh, country lines. I know that much for a fact. I've read the <laughs> police reports. Yeah, if he wants to come to the next paper cake meetup, he's got to come down through Michigan. And, and he also has to wear a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he already have a mustache? Oh, no. You, you just think that about, a all, bushier you just one? Think about all hipsters, Jonesy. They all have mustaches. <laughs> yeah, especially Canadian ones. Flannel shirts that just come dispensed uh-huh. out, of, out of like a tissue box. You just pull that flannel yeah, out. Canadian you two machine. were at Free Comic Book Day. We previously announced that Paper Keg, quote, would be there, but that changed last minute, unfortunately. 
and uh, you two might be appearing on the Echo Riffs podcast. Have we been podcast, turncoats? <laughs> podcast journeyman slash turncoats. Yeah, journeyman, right? Yeah, so what we had to do, uh, Paper Keg announced that we would be tabling at the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware, but uh, some last-minute things came up, and uh, we couldn't be there in force. And when I say in force, there's only three hosts of the show, so if only one of the half hosts could have been there for the day, it's kind of like, is it worth... Was it worth it? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. It was. It wouldn't have been right and or completely comfortable... Like, if it's not going to be at least two two full-time tablers, right. then there's really kind of no point. We're, we just feel like we're wasting space. And mm-hmm. I kind of got bummed out because I tried to get stickers made, but last minute, and the stickers didn't get made, <sighs> and the guy couldn't meet our needs. And so that was a sign as well. Like, we were, I was going to get the new logo on stickers, and they were going to be at our table. So it was just a sign, but that didn't stop Jonesy and I from getting some breakfast and uh, before Jonesy had to leave for Cigar Fest, which happens every free comic book day as well, um, we <laughs> next year we I can't wait to have the same conversation about will we <laughs> make it Cigar Fest? What's the status? Yeah, we're going to be. Have they announced the dates for next year's Cigar Fest yet, Jonesy? Do we know? No, they won't, they usually don't until they, the end they of don't year. until Great. they announce free comic book day, and then they announce <laughs> right. later that day as the same day. <laughs> Some vendetta. What do you? What is a cigar fest even? Can you walk us through what what that vibe sure. is like? People uh, puking cigar. cigar. So many cigars. <laughs> that uh, I'm sure there is puking, but you know, not in the open. So cigar fest is uh, in the Poconos, of and uh, Scar Internationals, which is like one of the bigger brokers of uh, internet cigar sales, and and they have some really great uh, retail locations. Uh, basically, invite major and minor cigar vendors to come and advertise their new blends or their you know their old favorites and you purchase a ticket and for this ticket you get you know like an overnight bag a couple lighters a couple cutters uh and 250 premium cigars uh for the ticket price and you walk around with like a little coupon book and for each coupon you get a cigar from the maker of the company in some cases. Like, I don't know if uh, none of these names are going to mean anything to anybody on this show, I'm sure, but like Nick Perdomo is there oh, yeah. and Rocky Patel. Oh, yeah. And you get to meet them and shake their ham, and they'll, sometimes shake they'll tell ham. you about <laughs> their hand. Did I just say ham? I, I, I always ham on the brain. I shake their hand. Let me enunciate. <laughs> and uh, for uh, if you guys watch uh, Cigar v- movies. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, it Sundervanaki was there with a new cigar they're trying to launch to tie in with their show. And the Quinn, I don't know who that is, and I never watched the show, he was there promoting it. So and it's nice. They give away a ton of stuff. They do a lot of stuff for uh the troops. They have the cigars for uh our troops overseas. So they oh, that's a big charity that's nice. that they do there as well. So there's a lot of great stuff that goes on. And it really is just a weekend to kind of tailgate and unwind and eat and drink and smoke and recreationally and nothing and nobody gets out of hand there's not like a bunch of bikers smoking cigars that comes through just a bunch of bikers smelling cigars and putting it back on the table Mm -hmm. yeah nobody's no actually you when you turn into it's a split uh rock 
uh, resort in the Poconos. So when you turn on to uh, Split Rock Drive to come up, you can smell it from the highway. There's just a bunch of people smoking and having a good time. It's it's really cool and, uh, you know, one of those things that is like a nice boys weekend away to uh, smoke cigars and have some fun. Shake some hand. And not read free comic books. Yeah. <laughs> Jonesy, how about Jonesy's about to get internet punched in the face for admitting he doesn't watch Sands of Anarchy? That's a bold move. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some move. backlash, I'm sure. You dummy. <laughs> yeah, really not thinking. So our next letter comes from uh, one of the members of the Echo... Echo, oh, Echo Radio Fusion. Free Echo Rift fine family of uh, podcasts. And that's Penuch. Uh, lunch partner and fan favorite. Uh, he says, congrats on reaching yet another landmark. Talk about a well-oiled machine. Paper cake continues to blow me away. Now at 150 episodes, the show still finds ways to sound better, smoother, and more professional. Effortlessly, it seems to enter new eras and raise the bar. You guys do this so well that it is only on returning to previous episodes that I can see just how much progress you continue to continue to make kudos to making a show that doesn't rest and instead looks for ways to better itself each and every time in keeping with my showrunner question how would you handle planetary can the property be done as a single film or film series or is it written for the week-by-week format of television if you could greenlight planetary would it be for movies or tv and who is your elijah snow slim will go to you first man alive I mean, there's really only one actor that can play Elijah, and that's obviously John Hamm. Mm. John Hamm Come as on. Elijah. Come off it. Everyone cast I, John Hamm, so why stop now? I just clutch my rosary beads just thinking about <laughs> John Hamm. I think he, obviously HBO is the ideal scenario, oh. along with uh, the you know the Games of Thrones and the hard R-ing in that show, and whatever else you put on HBO these days. Who knows? Veep. Dale, you're, you're Elijah? Uh, I don't know. Who's my Elijah? Some aged man, middle-aged at there least. There you go. Some anarchy, Sons of Anarchy actor, Ron cigars. Perlman. Ron Perlman. <laughs> Perlman. Who plays Trent. Terrible choice. <laughs> Who plays Trent and he smokes the latest Davidoff brand, blend of... Look at you knowing cigar brands. <laughs> Jonesy's pants just moved. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's going to try to recruit me for next year's Cigar Fest. So mm-hmm. Never, never. I would that. never do that to Slim. Uh, I did try to recruit you this year, and I almost had you. I almost had you hooked. Yeah, at breakfast on Free Conk Book Day, where we were no longer tabling, he's like, I got an extra ticket to Cigar Fest. I'm like, well, I got nothing holding me back. I could drive one up to the Poconos, stay, stay for the night, watch uh-huh. me. Man, you two getting up to mischief in the Poconos. The the nightlife in the Poconos is wild. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the woods parties? Bonfires I in can't. the woods. I just imagine you, both of you, Moonshine. 3 a.m., running through the woods, buck naked, except for your socks. Also, also <laughs> smoking cigars as we run. Speaking of, Jonesy, hold on to some cigars, because I'm going to drop a little uh, seed paper keg representing... Charm City, USA, Baltimore, Maryland, in September mm. for Baltimore Comic Con. We'll be there, uh, all three of us. Yeah, well, just, well, Jonesy, this is where Jonesy uh, implicates. <laughs> <laughs> implicates. Apparently, I am going. Uh, I have made no comments, and we'll we'll save that. I just texted your wife and, and gave her the details. 
Um, Jonesy and I at least will be making a weekend jaunt to Baltimore Comic Con. Slim obviously is welcome. I think it's like his wedding anniversary that weekend or something drastic like that. So mm-hmm. there's no pressure put on him, obviously. Late, but we will be running those streets of Baltimore, the wire style. We'll probably be victims in the next wire episode because <laughs> we will probably be murdered. As soon as we step They'll out of produce a uh, comeback episode 10 years later about two guys that die at a Comic-Con. So if you want to uh, hang out, if you're going to be in Baltimore or make plans, I know uh, Karate Chop of Boston, he, he expressed interest Uh-oh. possibly. But um, if you want to hang out with us indoors and not have to step out into the city of Baltimore whatsoever, I mean, the we will probably be... wild. Yes. We will... Call a cab and and make sure the cab pulls right up to the front of the hotel, so where we don't even have to really breathe any outside air. The hotel will take us right to the comic book convention and back. Hopefully, the hotel has a lobby bar, so we don't have to actually go to any bars in Baltimore. I'd be frightened. You should see if you can get yeah, tickets. I, I would like not to perish. Get tickets to that Harvey Award thing oh, that they do boy. there. You could be hobnobbing with Stan Sakai like I did one what? recent year. Oh my God, you mother! Uh, Slim, if you could just pick up that name off the floor that you just dropped. It's, on my, it's resting on my sneaker foot right now. Didn't hit the floor yet. Hold on. Uh, Panooch, thank you for the letter. Uh, great guy. And as much as we love to troll each other back and forth on that uh, Echo Rift, uh, truly stand-up guy, and we are, we're happy to call you friend, Dan. Next up, uh, Change Tapes, David Finn <laughs> at Red Lantern 2015 on the Twitter. Hi, Paper Keg. Just wanted the just following up with an addendum to where I was in 1988 when I bought the Electra trade. <laughs> just kidding, Jonesy. I will save that for my memoirs. Been hauling my way through planetary omnibus and trades all week. It's only my second ever reread. I was struck that on top of the incremental info dumps that serve the story so well and build up the whole four narrative, there's a lot of pretty clean action pieces. I honestly think this is a beautiful book of enormous achievement, and I put it alongside Sandman and the best Marston, Marston or more stuff in terms of a high watermark in comic writing. I noted down three issues that really stand out to me as a field of excellence. Number one, issue seven, the 80s in the UK issue at the funeral of the Constantine character. When you look at the funeral, you see so many cameos of strange characters and even creators, such as Grant Morrison next to Animal Man. I see a variant version of Dream and Death. It's fascinating storytelling, and that line about Maggie Thatcher is so biting and vicious. It reminds me of an issue of Stormwatch, where Ellis breaks down the whole history of Jenny Sparks over the 20th century, and the art styles reflect the decades. Ambitious stuff. Issue 10, with the parallels to Wonder Woman, GL is a sad one. That's magic and loss. You get the impression of what has been lost through the four's interference. In an awful way, it's a lot more realistic than most realistic comics. There's so much gold it feels unfair to single out individual issues. Years ago, at a soiree I attended, a prototype T-1000 model hipster, after hearing me talk enthusiastically about booming Ultimate Spider-Man title, advised, advised me between sips of his icy water, somebody like you should check out Planetary, and then gave me a pitch which was dead on arrival. My response, meh, sounds okay. Didn't end up reading till last year. Changed everything. The T-1000 hipster was right. He probably didn't make it to the end, though. It got too commercial. Haha, later, guys. Keep up the great work. 
David Finn. That will actually, that letter will be sectioned off as its own episode uh, following Monday's release. That was a great letter. He hit on that issue that we didn't even talk about. I think there was two or three really good ones we didn't even talk about. The Hark Mm -hmm. battle issue was really great. The Kung Fu fight. And that one specifically he mentioned. Also, we will never, I mean, mark it down. Hour 44 minutes. You better really enjoy this, folks. It is gnawing at my soul right now <laughs> don't you go don't you go quitting i was just having a conversation with panooch about uh how he he fears this episode the end, could, the end could be anywhere any episode we could be announcing it's the end <laughs> i tried to put his fears to rest but you know something like this could really set you over the edge can't wait to get to text tomorrow morning you know i've been really thinking about future and i edited i edited that show for the last four hours length I can't ever do this again. Uh, Our next letter. Hey, guys. I know you thought you'd gotten rid of me, but as we all learned, thanks to Dr. Jonesy Glow's beer, caprophagy isn't actually all that deadly. So uh, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated, etc. Hashtag Clemen quotes forever. Not much to say this time, except that when I heard you were doing Planetary, I was all, and there's an infographic here, or I'm sorry, a clip of, so I don't even know what the infographic is. It's very informative. Uh, Superman uh, stating, I'm stiffening up, got to grab that hose. This is, folks, this is probably the best image of a reference that we make all the time, whether it's a thresher in the middle of a field or... A water, a water at a sewage plant pipe just shooting water out. This is this is tops. I've never seen this image before, and there's the the word spoosh on it right there. I mean, it the story tells itself. You could just Dale's actually getting a tattoo of that on his lower back right now. I will be using this uh, image from forth forth from here. Can I hope against hope that this will also be Dale A's debut drunk episode? which we've been eagerly waiting for. I mean, you need to be three whiskey and plastic cups <laughs> deep to even hold up that omnibus, right? Before I go, one final suggestion. Got to keep pulling the strings as PK Architect. I feel like another Paper Keg Nights episode is in order. Black Kiss, Triple Xmas, and July special, anyone? I also hear a new, <laughs> a new Smut Peddler anthology is coming out in August. Just saying. That's all, folks. Keep up the good S eating work. Best, Laura. Another PK oh, yeah. Nights episode? I think yeah, that's a great idea it. for the drunk Dale episode. Maybe oh. Dale can host that one. PK Nights 3. Oh, don't make me Dale, host we need drunk. you to get loaded. Just absolutely annihilated before you go on air. How about that so very thorough callback of the whiskey in a plastic cup? God, she's good, man. She is good. She is the architect. She's got her hands in it. That is a, so I don't even know what episode. We've only really referenced right? that maybe twice. I know. I amazing. Oh, God. Never let it, never live it down. Dale drinking whiskey out of a plastic cup. <laughs> Look, a plastic cup is all I had in the basement at the time. The whiskey was in the basement. The vessel for drinking whiskey was in the basement. I don't need to go up creaking on the floors, probably trying to find glass in the dark. I'd knock it over and spoil the whole night. All right. And our last fitting letter comes from King of the Letter Writers. I'll put that out there right now. Congrats on making it to 150, guys. 
only 50 more before redacted. It's going to be redacted. I wasn't sure you'd make it this far. Always figured Jonesy or Dale would say something full of hate towards some race, gender, height, or other, and get you banned from the internet. (laughs) Well, here's so many more eps. Signed, at Dragonzola. P.S. I really agree with what Mark said last ep about Tale of Sand. I didn't love, but I didn't hate it either. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, he channeled Mark completely with that i think he, I he just taught he might have topped whiskey in a cup plastic cup reference right there <laughs> yeah that takes it back i mean rest in peace mark i want to speak ill of the dead but yeah. he didn't like much former host now dead mark. uh let's see let's play a quick drinking game story by numbers uh i'm glad to have read it but i didn't like it didn't hate it you have your own uh, mark word generator this just, there? This, this just <laughs> isn't my uh Fantasy is not my thing. Right. True crime is not my thing. Cult. Blank. Uh, science fiction is not my Blank thing. Blank is not my thing. <laughs> Cults are not my thing. <laughs> Baltimore is not my thing. Star Wars is not I my found thing. Myself laughing. <laughs> I found myself laughing when all those people were dying in gas chambers. <laughs> is, that it? is that it for the letters? That's it. All right. We did it. What a show. What a show. Longest show possibly in show history. I would agree. But it was the entirety of Planetary. Come off it. Yeah. We got a couple more lined up that are very similar in vain. We got a couple more slim, so you got to loosen up those trousers and just let it be. Let it be. (laughs) What a show. Planetary 150. Put on your stretchy old Navy sweatpants, the old pair. I know you got Here's to another two episodes before I call it quits and the show ends. <laughs> we'll see everybody next week. Or will we? Colombia. I feel like we should decompress for another hour or so. Coming off that high. Yeah. I, mm. We ended up doing a heck of a job. We did great. Talking about that book. We we had some apprehension, some pre-show talk, while Jonesy was busy, busy photoshopping. Uh, gimping. Please, please, Dale. <laughs> gimping. It sounds even worse. I'm a gimp master now. Gimp uh, master uh, general. Please refer... I mean, to to go from a 20-minute book club segment to this, that's that was way less. I mean, let's let's just talk about Akira and how confusing that was. We didn't we didn't expect much from the Akira episode because that book is just confusing. Allegedly, 
confusing. But no, he's right. It's we confusing. really wanted to do planetary justice, and I think we did it. We did aces. I mean, this sets the stage for other book club apps that we already have planned. I mean, you know, <laughs> you better get ready. <laughs> I mean, episode two hundred is gonna be big. In fact, I've already started reading. <laughs> Did we schedule two hundred? Did you Jersey? <laughs> no, nah, I made that up. I don't know. Because I already started reading. Gag. Come on, guys. Come off it. I know it's late. <laughs> We've been at this for two hours now. Jonesy finished reading Planetary last weekend. Yeah, I actually Maybe reread I... it twice. No, you didn't. Get out of here. I, okay. All right. I mean, I was That's reading. Insane. I was reading on my train. That's the only time I had read so far. All train, nothing else. What uh, do you guys want to talk about the one one-offs? I think the one of uh, really the only one of note is the Batman Night on Earth uh, crossover, yeah. which I, I love. Th- I feel like I read that one like twenty times out of like that. Hmm. I just knew like it, I don't know if it's just one of that I reread so often, but I knew everything that was happening. I just remembered it like page for page. The other ones like the Authority one. I felt like another garbage. <laughs> what, let me, Which is tough because I read that one yeah. as I was on the high of reading the whole series, and I read that one first, and I was like, ugh. ugh. Debbie Downer. Ugh. I mean, when you go. Which f- is actually a character in the authority, Debbie Downer. Gotta watch out for <laughs> When you go from the. I mean, just the. If planetary is hardness, the planetary authority one shot is flaccidness. It's just wet noodles. I mean, that's it's a nof- that's a it's, wet fart in a it in is. a quiet auditorium. I and mean, you're absolutely right. Coming off the planetary high, you're like, "Holy crap, planetary!" And you know what? Authority may be junk, but the two together got to make magic. You got to make harmony. Didn't the opposite of magic? Like my my pee wet farted. Just and it was, I was reading it, and it was at least. 173 pages long. <laughs> the the other forever. than the racist writer, the racist arth- author, mm-hmm. there was nothing redeemed. I mean, that book was terrible. I mean, I don't know how to express to the world how much nobody cares about Jenny Sparks. Nobody cares. Jenny Sparks, love. Nobody cares about an ex-British sleuth I'm Jenny Sparks, has love. Electric power. I've got problems with what you're saying right now. What? Yeah, Elijah, you don't remember our night together. God. God, I hate her. I mean, we woke up in the same bed together. Pass me a fag, would you, Elijah? <laughs> We're going to light up right here, bed. <laughs> that, accent, that accent is horrifying. It's 1930s. <laughs> Oh my god! I love the how about the, how about like the uh, the JLA uh, issue? What do you think about that one? Oh man, yeah, it was alright. It was alright, but nothing, knew what nothing comes close to that Batman yeah. issue. When he says when he stops his beating on Jakita to ask what happened to his parents, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh man, that stuff is great. And then even the threat of you know other world or not, I'll I'll find you. Amazing stuff. Oh yeah, she was, she was her her underroos were ruined <laughs> at Batman. Oh yeah, catastrophically destroyed underwear. 
That's a, that's a word generator came out. Catastrophically destroyed mm-hmm. underwear. A blitz in panties is probably <laughs> what he came up with. Panty zero. S- city panty zero. <laughs> Signed city panties. <laughs> Just a bunch of Half-Life girls sewing oh, thongs together. God. It was... Help us. Yeah. What a show. Great show. I refuse to have this last two hours, so I'm going to cut it off there. (laughs) Cut it off right there, with your love. Cut it off. Just cut it right off. Uh, Parlo. Like your little dinghy there. Well, you're busy over there kissing another guy, Parlo. Why don't you go ahead and take care of that racist offer, with you, Gov?